Just this past year, Gallup completed a survey, and the result is this. 70% of Americans claim to be religious. Now, that is any kind of religion, not just Christianity. This 2020 Gallup survey says 70% of Americans claim to be religious, but what's most interesting about this survey is that only 47% of Americans said that they are a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque. So when Gallup first measured church membership in 1937... 73% of Americans were members of local churches, synagogues, and mosques. 73%. And it remained at 70% or more for the next 60 years, all the way up till about the year 2000, when it started a downward trend until it became below 50% this past year for the first time. The decline in church membership appears to be the result of two factors, according to Gallup. Number one, Americans are less religious than ever. Have you seen this in your neighborhood, your family, in your workplace? Since the year 2000, the percentage of the nuns, those Americans uh, who express no religious preference, has grown from 8% to 21%. Let that sink in for a minute. 21% of your neighbor, neighbors have no preferred religion. They claim to be nuns when they check the box. The second factor is that religious Americans are less interested in formal membership than ever before. Gallup asserts that the older generations are being replaced by younger adults who are less likely to join formal institutions. The takeaway is that this Gallup report says 70% of Americans claim to be religious, but only 47% are church members. I'm wondering about those religious especially Christian Americans who won't become church members. I wonder why, if we were to ask them. Well, common reasons Christians give for not becoming a member of a local church are varied. Some of these reasons are very legitimate. Some of them kind of reveals some pretty bad theology, some even to the point of sin. But all of these reasons that I'm about to give are are definitely real and present in the church at large. Those people who claim to be true Christians and understand the true gospel give these kinds of reasons, and some of them reveal some independent spirits and some temporal values and some consumer mindsets when you hear them. And nobody actually writes these things out, but but if we listen carefully enough, we'll hear reasons like, I'm just not going to submit myself to some church to be held accountable. No one but God has the right to tell me what to do. I mean, that's kind of on the far end of the spectrum, but 
Can you kind of hear that from maybe a small percentage of Christians? Others might say, listen, formal membership, it's not in the Bible, especially signing papers. It's just not biblical. I'm not going to do it. Uh, others might say, listen, I, I'm happy to commit while I'm here at this church, but I'd like to keep my options open. I, I might find a church that suits my needs better. Maybe more people my age, more kids for my kids, more ministries, better music. Others, others might say, you know, it's just not the season of life where I can commit to the local church. It's just not the season. And, and that could be everything from we're really, really busy to we're really, really free and really want to enjoy our weekends. Maybe some might say, I just don't want to feel the pressure to be here every week to serve and to give. I want my Christianity, my worship to come out of desire and joy, not obligation and duty. Now, whether you agree with these reasons or not, they sound legitimate, don't they? And we can hear some Christians maybe sharing them. Some reasons would actually reveal not necessarily, you know, self-centeredness or consumerism, but some reasons reveal um, fear. I've been hurt by churches in the past, and I'm not going to let that happen again. Or I'm concerned about pastors going bad. We've all heard about pastors going off the rails. Some, some leaders are just dishonest and they're hiding things. Fear. And then some reasons have really valid concerns. I'm not suggesting that they're legitimate reasons, but they're definitely valid. Like, for example, I just live too far away from the church to be an active member and to be involved in the life of the body. I just live too far away. I can't do it. Or I can't commit to the promises in the church covenant because I have an illness and I really can't even come. What do you do with that? Should that person not be a member because they're homebound with a legitimate sickness? Maybe somebody would say, you know, I like this church, but I do not agree with some of the major theology, some of the major philosophies of ministry, with some of the major things that this church, you know, loves and is passionate about. Should they become members? And then there just might be two ends of the spectrum, even here this morning. Number one, I've just never really even thought about it. I didn't grow up this way. It doesn't really seem all that important. It kind of seems like, according to the Gallup survey, it's on, it's fading. It's on the downslope. And on the other end of the spectrum, I don't believe membership in a local church is biblical. In fact, I think it divides the church. 70% of Christians, according to this Gallup survey, claim to be Christians, but only 47% are members of a local church. Now, this particular survey interested me 
a lot because at this particular juncture of our life together as a church, only eight and a half years now, but right now, 55% of the people who attend our worship services week after week after week, 55% of the people who claim to be Christians and attend Winchester Baptist Church are not members for one reason or another. So that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this topical sermon on church membership this morning, but it's not the only reason. We believe, we are passionate about biblical church membership, and therefore it is a, it's essential that we hold it up every now and then, to remind our members of what it is that we have committed ourselves to and why we believe that membership is biblical. So I actually have a couple of goals for this sermon this morning. Number one, for members, members, listen up. Here's, here's my goal for you, that you will be reminded of the value of membership and recommit as, as we're as you're listening to this sermon this morning from the Bible, recommit yourself to faithfully fulfilling our covenant with one another for the health of this local church and for the glory of Christ through us. Members, do that. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Non-members. My goal for you non-members is, is that I hope that you will become a member of a healthy biblical church. I'd like for you to consider becoming a member of our church, but if not our church, it's okay. Really, there are a number of good gospel churches in Winchester and the surrounding area of which you could become a member, but that's my hope for you is that you will see the value not just of church attendance on a regular basis or participation on a regular basis, but of jumping all the way in and becoming a member of a local church. But let me just say this. If you end up disagreeing with me, that's that's okay too. I, I genuinely hope that you will continue to feel comfortable coming here. There's grace here, even over differences of opinion on issues like this. So please don't let you... Don't let this sermon and even my passion for something like this cause you to feel like, well, if I'm not a member, then I'm not wanted there. It's not true. We want you here. And then there might be somebody here this morning that is a non-Christian. You're one of those nuns. You don't have a religious preference. My hope for you is that you will see the glory of Jesus Christ through his church. And that as we talk about his church, like a magnet, it will draw you not only to his church, but to the Christ that his church represents. So in this sermon, I'd like to answer this question. Is church membership biblical? Is church membership biblical? And before we begin, I need to define at least two words, church and membership. So by church, 
I mean the local church, not the universal church. I mean the lowercase c church, not the capital C universal church of Christ of all time and all places that is both visible on earth right now and invisible in heaven. Because every Christian by faith and grace in Christ alone is made part of the church of Christ that is universal of all time in all places, visible and invisible. And we praise God for the gospel that makes us part of that church. I'm not talking about the universal church of which every Christian is a member. I'm talking about the lowercase local churches like this one and others in Winchester, Virginia. So church and membership. When I talk about membership, I mean a formalized commitment. Yes, maybe even signing a piece of paper, though that's not necessary. It's, it happens to be the way we do it, but it's only to formalize it, not because it's biblical or something. A formalized commitment to live together in this local church, in worship, community, and on mission for the glory of Jesus Christ. So when I talk about membership, I'm talking about a formalized commitment to a particular local church. So my my question this morning is, is formalized membership in a local church something that we can find in the Bible, or is it completely man-made, or maybe just what we want to do? So maybe not good, not bad, but just what we happen to want to do. Well, here's my answer. I've actually given you a note sheet with uh, some opportunities to, to take notes. I'd encourage you to, to take these notes, whether on that sheet or on your own, and um, I would encourage you uh, to write this answer down because I think it might surprise you. Is church membership biblical? Answer. Formal church membership is not explicit in Scripture. But it is the logical conclusion of the New Testament. It's not explicit. So what I mean by explicit is it's not black and white. There are, there is no specific command in scripture about church membership. There are no definitive instructions for how membership is to be formalized. Listen, I concede on the front end of this discussion and this sermon that church membership is not explicit, which is why this issue is debated among good Christians and practiced differently by good churches. It's not black and white. But, but, formalized membership in a local church is the logical conclusion of the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, it's just the logical conclusion. I'd like to give you five reasons why we believe that church membership is the logical conclusion of the New Testament. Now, you could take these five reasons and divide them into ten reasons, which sounds way more convincing. 
And actually, the last time I taught this, I did. I had 10 reasons. But that just took longer, and you don't want that, right? So five reasons, five good substantive reasons why church membership is biblical. Reason number one, membership in the universal church is lived out as membership in the local church. That's what we see in the scripture. Membership in the universal, capital C, church, is lived out as membership in a local, lowercase c, church. It's the natural progression of the New Testament from the original 12 disciples of Jesus through the first church and then all of these local churches even up until now. Let me show this to you in the book of Acts. So now let's take our Bibles and open them, please, and find our biblical foundation for this topical sermon. Acts chapter 1 and 2 and the entire book of Acts tells this story that after redemption was accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. After redemption was accomplished, here's what happens in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The Spirit was given. The gospel was preached. Disciples were made. But it didn't stop there. The Spirit was given. The gospel was preached. Disciples were made. And the church was born. You cannot get away from this black and white truth of scripture that when the gospel of Christ and the spirit of Christ get together, they do not merely produce disciples of Christ. The gospel of Christ and the spirit of Christ produces the church of Christ. The church, not individual disciples of Jesus, is the offspring of the gospel. Through the gospel, God was not just creating new people. God was creating a new community. And if we understand Christianity to be mostly a private relationship between me and God, then we have missed the entire point of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is not about individual disciples. It's about the church. So in Acts chapter 2, we see the first church, which we read about in verses 41 through 47, marked by those who repented and believed, received the word, and were baptized. Let me just stop and ask you the question. Have you received the word of God? Have you repented of your sin? Have you come to Jesus by faith? If so, your next step is clear. It's baptism. Repent, believe, and be baptized, and there's the church in Acts 2, 41 through 47. So we see this first church, and look at verse 42. 
notice that they devoted themselves. Circle the word devoted. They didn't just devote themselves to something. They devoted themselves to one another. That's the kind of committed relationship that we're talking about in membership. They devoted themselves not only to doctrine, to the Lord's Supper, to ministry, but they devoted themselves to one another. And so what happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts is that that first church began to increase. Look at the end of chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This first church is growing in numbers. Look at chapter 4, verse 32. You're going to need your Bible for this. Chapter 4, verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Do you see that this church is devoted to one another? And they're growing. The first church is now at a full number. Look at chapter 5, verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Look at verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly where? In Jerusalem. And even many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The church in Jerusalem grew and grew and grew, and they devoted themselves to one another. But I want you to notice what happens in chapter 8. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. The church in Jerusalem now spreads. 8.1, Saul approved of the execution of Stephen, and there arose on that great day persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The church was scattered. Where? Judea, Samaria. Does that sound like the Great Commission? Where you're going to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Look at chapter 9, verse 31. So the church, if we're trying to prove a case here, then words are important. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and it multiplied. The church in Jerusalem, the church is now spreading. But I, look at chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. The church becomes every church, quote unquote. The churches, quote unquote. And the church at. The church now multiplies into local churches. I'm going to do this fast, okay? Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, therefore, they were, pardon me, now there were in the church at Antioch. 
the church at Antioch. Chapter 14, 20, 23. And when they appointed elders for them in every church. How many churches are there now? More than one. At least one in Jerusalem that might have had some connection with the surrounding towns, Galilee and Judea, but the church at Antioch is established as its own independent church. And now here in chapter 14, there is every church. Chapter 15, 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, plural. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches, plural, were strengthened in the faith, and they increased numbers daily. Chapter 20. Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. The church has become local churches spread all over the place. And take a look at chapter uh, Romans chapter 16, for example. Those churches were spoken of as local organized assemblies meeting primarily in homes. Romans chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea. Look at verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, greet also the church in their house. So even in Rome, pardon me, uh, wherever Paul was here, I think, which is Corinth, even in that city, there are multiple churches in one city that met in homes. Look at verse 23. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. So Gaius hosted the church in his house. And we know this, that many of the New Testament epistles were written to local churches. For example, follow me if you can, 1 Corinthians 1, to the church of God that is in Corinth. I love this next phrase, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both our Lord and theirs. Isn't that great? The church at Corinth were those saints who were called together, but they were with all of those in every other place. Galatians 1, to the church of Galatia. Thessalonians, to the church of the Thessalonians. Philemon, to Philemon, our brother and fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Revelation was written to, quote, the seven churches that are in Asia. And Philippians, look at this in your Bibles. Philippians is great. Philippians chapter 1, Paul calls the the Philippians a church in chapter 4, but in chapter 1, he describes what that means. Philippians 1.1, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Those are the three kinds of people that make up every legitimate biblical church. Saints, 
elders or overseers and deacons. I think that means that elders and overseers are not saints because it's a, no, I'm kidding. But there are the, the saints, the members, and then the two offices given to serve the saints, elders, which is primarily the word ministry, and deacons, which is primarily serving ministry. The church at Philippi is made up of three kinds of people. My question is, which church are you part of, and which of those three kinds of people are you? If we look in the rest of the New Testament, we find that these local churches are defined with numbers, with names of real local people who knew each other, and with lists. In Acts chapter 6 and in 1 Timothy chapter 5, there are lists of the widows that were to be taken care of by that local church specifically. When Paul gave instructions to Timothy, he didn't just say, take care of all of the widows in the entire area. He said, take care of the widows in your church. And they had a list of them and they were, quote, enrolled. And they had to qualify by meeting certain uh, financial and life type qualifications. Every local church is an outpost of the gospel on earth. Every local church is a reflection of the universal church. Every Christian is an ambassador of that assembly, of that um, uh, embassy. There you go. I couldn't think of the word. Every local church is an embassy, every Christian an ambassador, and membership in the universal church is lived out as membership in a local church. Their commitment to one another defines their life together. Friends, that's all I need, but that's just point number one. Reason number two. Is church membership biblical? Reason number two, these first two will take lots longer than the others, I promise. Reason number two, membership submits to the authority of Christ through his church. Let me say that again and then let me explain it, okay? Membership submits to the authority of Christ, the authority, key word, of Christ through his church. Now, this is often a paradigm shift for people because many Christians, especially American Christians, often think about the church uh, in the wrong way, frankly. We, we think about the church as an assembly of people who come together voluntarily, who share a common faith in Christ and gather weekly for worship, community, and mission. And everything I said is true, but it's not merely that. It's more. Jesus instituted his church and invested it with his authority. The church is an authorized institution of Jesus Christ on earth. It's not just a voluntary assembly of people, but it's actually an 
authorized institution that carries the authority of Jesus. Let me explain myself. You turn to Matthew chapter 16. Maybe you've seen this and studied this before. It would take a lot longer sermon than this one to explain it thoroughly, but let me whet your whistle. Maybe you've never heard of the keys of the kingdom before. Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew 18 have what's called the keys of the kingdom. Here's this progression. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, right? Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. We learn that in Matthew 28. Jesus invests his authority into the church by giving them, quote, the keys of the kingdom. He gives it first to Peter and the twelve, And then that authority in chapter 16 is seen next in Matthew 18, exercised by a local church. Let's read Matthew 16, verse 15. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? You remember that. He looks at Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'm telling you, you're Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19 I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The keys of the kingdom are the authority of Jesus to bind and loose. Jesus first gives that to Peter and his apostles. He gives them the keys of the kingdom in the context of Peter giving a correct confession about who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus affirms that confession and says, I'm going to build my church on that confession. And here's the authority that goes along with that confession, the keys of the kingdom. The next time we hear this language is two chapters over in Matthew chapter 18. It's in the context of a local church working through issues, and specifically getting to the end of what's called church discipline, where they have to excommunicate a member. Look at Matthew chapter 18. When a person sins against someone, talk to them, talk to them privately, take people who are in the know back, appeal to them with love and grace. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to whom? The church. And if he, this sinful man who refuses to repent, if he refuses to listen even to the church, 
Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, euphemisms for non-Christians, non-disciples of Jesus. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two or Uh, of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Wow, has that last part been ripped out of context and abused so many times, hasn't it? The where two or three are gathered thing is in the context of church discipline and the authority of the church coming together to deal with sin. And here is someone, get this, who claims to be a disciple of Jesus, but will not obey Jesus. They appeal to him a number of times with grace and love. Brother, this is what our Lord commands. You must follow Jesus. He says, no, I refuse Jesus says, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to the church, then put him out of the church. Exercise the binding and loosing keys of the kingdom that I have given to you. This is some serious stuff. So let me recap. Matthew chapter 16, the keys are applied to affirm. Affirm true gospel confessions. Matthew 18, the keys are applied to deny false gospel confessions. Someone says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The church says, yes, amen. What's the next step? Baptism. Who is the authority of baptism given to throughout the whole New Testament? The church. So the church affirms true confessors through baptism and the church denies false confessors through church discipline and excommunication. All of that to say, Membership in the local church is me, as an individual Christian, submitting myself to the authority structure that Jesus ordained and instituted. It's not for me to affirm my own confession to baptize myself. But it is the local church with the authority to affirm true, proper confessions of faith. And it is also the church that protects the name of Jesus by denying false professors, people who claim to be Christians but live as if they're not. Jesus says, protect my name, protect my church, protect the gospel from that misrepresenting uh, representation by putting them out of the church. Membership is submission to Christ's authority exercised through his church. Let me ask you, have you submitted 
to Christ's authority through the local church? Or is there something that wells up in you that says, I say I'm a Christian. I don't need anybody else to tell me I'm a Christian. We we can just hear this sinful, arrogant attitude in us. That's the same kind of attitude that says, I'll live my life the way I want to and nobody's going to tell me. And you know where that ends up? It ends up in forsaking the faith and bringing a reproach upon the Christ that you claim. Friends, church membership is submission for the glory of Jesus. Quickly, quickly. Reason number two. Pardon me, reason number three. So membership in the universal church is lived out as membership in the local church. Reason number two, membership submits to the authority of Christ through his church. Now reason number three, membership facilitates the shepherding of Christ over his flock. This is the church of Christ, right? This is not my church. This is the church of Christ. But how does Jesus shepherd his church? Well, Christ shepherds his church by ordaining elders as shepherds over his flock, to be under shepherds. He's the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he calls qualified, biblically uh, ordained men to shepherd in his stead. We could look at 1 Peter 5, where Peter exhorts the, the elders among you to shepherd the flock of God. Or Acts chapter 20, where Paul says to the elders at the church of Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Listen to this heavy word. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's the heavy weight and responsibility that is placed upon elders is to shepherd the church of Christ for whom Jesus himself gave his own blood. And here's the reality of it. Christ is going to hold every elder responsible and accountable for how he shepherds his sheep. Every pastor, elder, is going to stand before the great shepherd and give an account for how he shepherds Christ's flock. Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 tells us this vividly. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the relationship between the members and their leaders. And he said, about the leaders, they're keeping watch over your souls. Hear that shepherding language? Your pastors, your elders are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Someday, friends, I will stand before the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and I will give an account for how I shepherd who? Who? Every Christian in Winchester, Virginia? Every Christian in Frederick County? Every Christian who ever visits this church? See, membership facilitates 
this relationship between the shepherds and the flock. It's not explicit. But it's the logical conclusion that if I'm going to stand before God and give an account for his people, then I've got to know who it is that I'm giving an account for so that I can shepherd them well. And I'm going to give an account for those people who willingly become part of this local church. Listen, everybody in the room, everybody who's joining by Zoom, I love with all of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, I love every single person who ever visits or attends our church. But I have a special relationship with those who are members because I will stand before God for them. Just like a father will stand before God for his kids or a husband will stand before God for his wife. This principle of Accountability that comes along with responsibility and headship shows up with the elders in the church. Take that same coin and look at the reverse side of it. Look down at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, 17, look. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're going to give an account for your soul. To the flock... Jesus says, obey your pastors, obey your elders. This is not the only place. Look at chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then maybe this afternoon, take a look at chapter uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, because this is very interesting. In 1 Timothy 5, The members of the church are told to do this. Members, here's what you're told to do. Honor your elders. Provide for their living. So you honor and provide for the faithful elders of your church. And then, are you ready? Bring charges against the unfaithful elders of your church. That's your responsibility as a church is not only to to set aside and affirm elders among us, but you're supposed to take care of us. You're supposed to honor and pray for us. And you're supposed to help make sure that we stay in line by never letting this church be abused or hurt by an unfaithful, unbiblical elder. It is your responsibility that if you ever hear false doctrine or see an unbiblical lifestyle in this elder or any of our elders that you do something about it in love and in grace, working for restitution and and resolution. Who are you supposed to submit to? Every elder in Winchester, Virginia? If you're called to honor your elders and submit to them and even bring... Um, reproach, um, accusations against their disqualification. Are you supposed to do this with every elder you know? The elders of your church. It's that committed relationship. The bottom line, Christ shepherds his church through ordained leaders. He's going to hold them accountable. Therefore, elders have to know who that they are shepherding 
and those who are being shepherded are to submit. And that submission looks like formalized, committed relationship. We call it membership. Reason number four and five will be very brief. Reason number four, membership functions as the discipleship relationship in which the Great Commission is fulfilled. The Great Commission is not to go out and spew the gospel on people. The Great Commission is to go out and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where's that happen? In the church. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Where does that happen? Not just over coffee. That's the relationship of discipleship within the local church. Yes, it's it's individual, one-on-one, life-on-life kind of relationship, but it's within the local church. It, it's been modeled by Jesus with his 12. It was modeled by Paul with the churches. It was modeled by Titus whenever he was told that the older men and the older women are to teach the younger men and the younger women. Committed membership functions as the discipleship relationship in which the Great Commission is fulfilled. It's not just Christians making other Christians and discipling them individually. No. We're missing the point of the gospel because the gospel results in the church. So you, as a church member, preach the gospel, make disciples and bring them into the church so that they can be baptized and discipled by you and the others in the church. Finally, reason number five, membership cultivates the new community that Christ died to redeem. Membership cultivates the new Community, key word, community of Christ. Christ redeemed his church to create not just individual discipleship, but a new community. And only membership formalized. Listen to this. I know it's getting long, but hear this. This is so important. Only formalized covenant membership in a specific local church can cultivate the kind of community, the body life that we see in the New Testament. There's no way to get that kind of devotion to one another and commitment to one another in the the covenant than in the local church. The metaphors of the New Testament speak to this. The church is spoken of as a body, as a building, as a family. All of these emphasize the whole and its parts. And yes, it's true of the universal church. But it is lived out locally. It's the local body, the local family, the local building. You are a part of a local church as well as the local church. And the one anothering of the New Testament Loving, serving, praying, bearing the burdens. You can only fulfill that as you get to know one another within this committed relationship. Sure, you can do this anywhere you want, but the local church is the focal point of your service and one anothering. 
the local church is the focal point of your gifts and your investment, your time, your energy, your finances, your love. It's the local church through committed, formalized relationship. Church membership says, I'm all in. I'm all in for you. And to the church, we respond to every member, we're all in for you. It's a covenant relationship. We're not worried about whether we're still on trial, whether we're going to go and leave and go to another church. But we can relax like in a marriage. And we can love one another and forgive one another and bear with one another and sanctify one another with real love and commitment to one another that we will work this out. That doesn't happen when there's freedom to come and go with a consumer mentality. That only happens in a covenant membership. Question, is church membership biblical? My answer, our answer, formal membership is not explicit, but it is the logical conclusion of Scripture. Why? Because ultimately it's the church of Jesus, the local church of Jesus, that best displays the gospel, grace, and glory of Christ. I hope that you will be reminded of the value of membership and recommit yourself, members. I hope if you're a non-member, you will consider it. If you're still not convinced, that's okay. Keep studying, keep looking. And if you're unconvinced entirely, it's okay, keep coming. But I'm not going to apologize for wanting more for you and wanting more from you. Because more for you and more from you within committed relationship in a local church brings great glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and great benefit not only to your soul, but to this local church. Non-Christians, I hope that you can see this is what God has made for you if you'll only repent and believe and come to Christ. Let's pray together, all right? Lord, there is so much beauty and grace in your church. It could only have been created by you. You you had a great idea. I thank you not only for your gospel, but I thank you for your church. And I pray that you would make much of the name of Jesus through Winchester Baptist Church. I pray that you would fuel our love for one another. I pray that you would guard our unity with one another. I pray that you would bring more, add more to us so that we have more people, more resources so that we can further advance your gospel. But Lord, we want to be a healthy church more than anything. So I pray that by your grace, you would make this a beautiful display of your gospel. I pray for every person in the room 
Those who are non-Christians, that they would come to Jesus. Those who are non-members, that they would consider joining a local church, if not this one. One that they feel like they can commit to wholeheartedly. And members, I pray that you would cause us to renew our faithfulness with each other. Please do that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.